Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChumpaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VDW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. The following program is brought to you by Firefly Willows, L-I-V-E. Hi. My name's John Carousella, and I'm your host for Convergence on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. Convergence is to consciousness as gravity is to the material world. In small amounts, gravity is overwhelmed by every other fundamental force of the universe. But gravity has something nothing else has. It's cumulative. The more matter you collect, the more gravity you get until it becomes the most powerful force of the material world. I think convergence is like that too. Only in this case, we're working with truth. The more truth we collect, the more convergence we experience. Connections, relationships, resonance of ideas and concepts, science and mysticism. Lately, deep truths just seem to be coming together, even as many of the illusions around us are falling apart. As within, so without. As above, so below. I know I'm feeling it, and I'll bet you are too. For the next 90 minutes, we'll be exploring concepts and topics that in some way or another bring us around to a deeper truth. Join me and my guests for this week's experience of Convergence. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Firefly Willows LIVE Roundtable. I'm your host, John Carousella, together with my co-host, Deb Carousella. Good morning. Hi, C. Lutmers. Hello. And Mildred Lynn McDonald. Hello. And I hope you're all doing well this morning. It's uh, I really do look forward to these roundtables every week. It's really fun. We're approaching the summer solstice, and so our power is kind of building to a, to a peak. We're, we're in this place where um, the energy is building. And I just had this, this notion to think about what is it that's active in your life right now that's driving you forward? What is it that you, where do you feel the impulsion coming from? And what, if anything, in your life is holding you back? So, and in particular, because it's this time of year and, and my guest on the show today, my, for Spirited Conversation is Dawn Clark and and she talks a lot about the the power that we have within ourselves to um, discard limiting beliefs and 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 follow our soul path. So, how are we doing on that? What's driving you forward? What's holding you back? Well, John, I loved your question, and immediately when I looked at the part where I could see driving forward, a couple of vibrations came up for me. Three came up. Oh. The first one is exploring, the second one is discovering, the third one is having butterflies in my stomach. That really drives me forward. The first one was exploring, 
Yeah. The second one is discovering. Discovering, and the third one is butterflies in your tummy. Yeah, yes, <laughs> yes. And no one was more surprised than I was when that one came up. Well, so share about exploring and discovering first. Well, I just moved to a new place. I've been here for two months at Sebastopol, California. So what I noticed about myself is there's nothing better I love to do than jump in the car and go out and explore new areas and discover new areas and meet people. And that really seems to nourish and enliven my spirit. And number three is having butterflies in my tummy, my tum-tum-tummy. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 why, why, and those drive you forward. Yeah, they're my fuel jets attached to my feet. And why do the, how does the butterflies work? Well, it's a feeling. My, my body is very in tune with whatever's going on, and so I get a lot of, I guess, symptoms. So I know that if I have butterflies in my tummy, it's, it means anticipation. It means some energy is coming towards me that I can explore and discover. And have you, have you always had that, um, or, or did, is that like a relatively recent acquisition? No, I've always had it, and I remember having it as a child. So that's something I that I, that I treasure very much, and I has haven't lost as an adult. Mm, that's cool. I I know for for myself that the, my ability to register uh, feelings and and intuition in my stomach is just reemerging from a long period of dormancy. So I'm I'm looking forward to having that same kind of uh, sensory capacity in my in my second and third chakras. And do you want to know what holds me back? Does anything hold you back? <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> well, then we want to know. The physical. I, I'm like a person. Did you ever hear the expression that their eyes are too big for the amount of food they eat? Yeah, eyes too big for bigger your stomach, than, yeah. Yeah, bigger than your stomach. Well, I am like that. I have a big appetite for life. But sometimes I overextend myself and I walk in the land of fatigue. So it's constant balancing. So that would hold me back. I might feel too tired to go and explore and discover. Mm. And and so what might you, um, an immediate thought came to mind for me about how that might, uh, how you might ameliorate that. Um, Have you thought about what to, how to shift that? Well, there's two options. I can either pull back Mm. or I can ramp it up. And what I'm trying to do now is ramp it up because it's more fun than pulling back. Absolutely. Way yeah. more fun than pulling back. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, so the thought that came to me immediately was yoga. That's not the thought that comes to me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. Well, we can move on. <laughs> on to Deb and Heisen. <laughs> All right, Deb, what drives you forward? There are two things that drive me forward. Um, the, the most positive and, and fun thing is um, joy. Those things that I find uh, and take great joy in drive me forward. I wish to experience them. I wish to partake in them. I dive head for, first into doing them. Second thing that drives me forward, which isn't as positive but is true, um, is pressure. Pressure from um, either from myself or from others or from circumstance, things that I feel I have an obligation to do um, and that must be completed or I have no choice. Hmm. And so you do it. You buckle down and you do it. So what about the what, what are the things that uh, in the joy department that kind of 
are current in your life or are familiar to you that you... Well, things that are familiar because... <laughs> your go-to joy. So. My go-to joy. At, uh, at the moment, there's not a whole lot of joy in my life. At mm. the moment, it's uh, mostly obligation mm. um, that's driving me forward. Um, experiences of joy um, are, in the past that I have, have, I've had, are when I spend hours um, painting ceramics or... Uh, doing some sort of craft artwork. <laughs> well, you must have had some joy over the last few days painting the fence gate. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Great. I, I got, it's not quite the same. You, she came in, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> my spouse came in from painting the gate <laughs> saying, there's something wrong with Gosh, me is what I, I said. I love painting. <laughs> I oh said, there God. must be something wrong with me because I really do love to paint. Even something as mundane as the gate of the fence. I just, uh, that's true. There, there, there was just recently amongst all of the obligation that was driving me forward, a snippet of joy that I got out of it. Um, and that was the ability to open up a can of paint, take a paintbrush in my hand and paint the gate and paint the post. So anyone out there who would like to be the source of, the opp of opportunity for joy for Deb Caracella, you know how to reach her. Okay. <laughs> um, and obviously, um, spending time and, and being able to do things with my family, with my kids, with the dogs, um, just watching them with the dogs, not the kids <laughs> anymore because they're too old, but just watching them play, watching them just be dogs, that's um, that's always a very joyful experience for me. Mm -hmm. um, things that hold me back. I have, I have, I have discovered, I discovered this about myself a very, very long time ago. I have a very, very limited um, reserve of um, effort, a very limited. I don't actually know how to put this into words that, that make actual sense. I know what I'm feeling and I know what I believe and, mm. and sense. Um, but it's almost like I have a baby-sized pool, a waiting pool of effort, interest, um, motivation, and other people have an Olympic-sized pool. There are people that have... It, that are involved in many, many things, and they find joy and expression and and all kinds of wonderful things in being involved in many organizations and with many different groups and getting involved in this and going out to here and just being in the thick of everything. I am not that person. I have an extremely small, very, very, very small boundary to which I wish to devote my energy, my time, my efforts. And when I get overextended, it becomes very evident very quickly. So that is something that many people would see as holding me back. I have a tendency to see it as I understand who I am. Yeah, that's your nature. And where I best work. I mm -hmm. work best when I'm not overextended, when I can devote myself, my efforts, my uh, inner being to a few things, and usually those things that are... Um, Enriching and joyful to me. Um, so that's, yeah, yeah. you know. Mm -hmm. Now, that's an interesting way to, to think of it is um, <clears throat> it's, it holds you back, but you don't, you don't mind. Yeah. You, you really, I mean, ultimately, it's like. Well, yeah, or I have to make a choice. 
Yeah, you have to make a choice. I have to make a choice. If, you know, in the past I had hours and I devoted time and energy to creating um, artistic things and, and being involved in expressing myself in that manner, I haven't touched a paintbrush outside of the, <laughs> outside of the kind you use with the you know the gallon sized cans in years, because my energy got diverted and I put my energy and my time somewhere else, mm. and I don't have the capacity to do both. Right. Because right. neither one is something they well, both and, suffer. And, and what happens when you overextend yourself? You get I get ill. You get sick. I get I, sick. I, Tired, fatigued, and yes, yeah. and actually, I get colds, and I, I get it's more than simply. Oh, you actually get I immune get system is, sick. Yeah, yes. mm-hmm. and I know that that's what happens, and yeah, I just well, that's not a smart thing to do. Yeah. No. Hi, C. What about you? Nothing holds him back or drives him forward because he's Buddha. <laughs> the silence. He's desireless. I just sit in being. <laughs> Well, I would say that perhaps what drives me forward is, well, feeling that I'm a conduit of information and it drives me forward to make sure that information that I come across or that comes through me gets passed on to the appropriate people that I feel need to know it or hear it or whatever, and whether that's with clients in a reading or finding information about something and posting it to somebody's Facebook page so that they know it or letting somebody know about an event that I think would probably appeal to them. It, are, it are, are you a Gemini? You're not a Gemini. He's a Capricorn. You're a Capricorn, but you sound like a Gemini. <laughs> well, it's but it's also because I like doing that in order to help challenge the existing structures that people have created, Ah. how they see the world, how they approach things, how they see themselves, so that it will perhaps, if it doesn't break it down, at least create a little chink in the armor, a little, I don't know what it's called, you take a little thing and knock a little chip off of a stone. Is it? Do you feel of it that it's like like the the chip or the chink in the armor, or do you feel like it's introducing flexibility into something that's um, kind of rigid? Is is it more like breaking it down or more like loosening it up? Well, if it's loosening up, it's with the intention of breaking it down. Okay, so you basically are a, ma- a, a mason, a mason with a hammer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> forty. Okay, all right. So that's what drives you forward. We've been doing a lot of home repairs lately, by the way. <laughs> yes, there's way more to this roundtable than meets the eye. <laughs> uh, okay, so so it's the communication to to uh, to shift awareness that drive, is something that drives you forward. Right, and it drives me forward to like to consume information in ridiculous amounts. <laughs> <laughs> Um, to to want to know what there is to know, to want to know, and in some ways to want to know what's coming next. Not like predicting the future, but I also tend to, I love technology, and I always want to know what's coming next. I want to see where things are evolving to, and I approach people that way too. I want to see who and where they can evolve to 
rather than getting stuck in just seeing and living the way that they think that they are. Mm. Yeah, what holds you back? Well, one thing I would say similar to Mildred is I tend to overwhelm myself with information. And then I get very stuck because then it's like I have so much information, I don't know quite what to do with it. So it's it's like having too many options or knowing too many things and then you're paralyzed because it's like, well, now I don't know which one to follow up on or which one to pursue. Uh, so it's it, it, it holds me back from not having better limits and filters on how I allow the information in or the speed that I allow the information in. Yeah. And don't spend enough time sitting with the information rather than constantly moving to the next piece of information. And also, it also probably holds me back that I get into this place of doubt mm. when I think, well, but is there anything new to really say? <laughs> is there is there anything new to really be done? Hasn't it all been done before? Is there anything really, you know, versus being able to see that every person, every time period has their need for how something is said, even if it's saying the same thing, so that it becomes time and culturally specific for the yeah. people that are hearing it. Yeah. Where the, the the underlying message may be the same or just as important as it was a thousand years ago, two thousand years ago, but how it's said or the context it's put in is what somebody today needs to hear it as in order to understand that underlying message. Right. And so I have to overcome the doubt that, well, this isn't anything new or somebody else has already done it or somebody else has already done it better. Mm, um, yeah, yeah. And, and not let that get in the way of allowing whatever it is to just come through and be put out there. Well, we, and we, I think all collectively would encourage you to keep putting it out there because what you do is really is useful and powerful and helpful. Even if, you know, even if Jesus, Buddha and all those other guys have already said it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, just really briefly, what, what drives me forward is when I see the opportunity, when I see beauty, and when I, when I see the opportunity for intimacy with the world that, you know, so in some sense, it's 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 learning and dis exploring and discovering in the same way that um, I see and Mildred talked about it. You know, it's, you know, getting getting more data about the world. And for me, it's tied to this notion of of becoming more and more intimate with the world. And, you know, one to one or con connected at the hip with that is is finding beauty and cultivating beauty in things. And that's one of the reasons why I love the garden is because I love this. I love the, the beauty and the intimacy that you get to have with, with living things as they emerge, right? You get to participate in, and uh, participate in their joy and, and discover more about them. Um, the things that, things that hold me back, well, doubt for sure holds me back. Uh, doubt. I think the two things that hold me back uh, are doubt and other people's expectations, you know, feeling that I have to, that I have to meet other people's expectations, whether they're societal or, um, you know, financial or, you know, all that, whatever is laid up, set up as, you know, this is what you're supposed to do. This is what you're not supposed to do. Um, I, it really tugs at me to let that down. Um, so there's, that's a process of, of excavating those, those patterns to 
help me get free of that. But uh, yeah, so um, what what drives you forward? What holds you back? Um, and we invite you guys, uh, listeners, to to participate in this conversation uh, on the Firefly Willows Facebook page. We'll have the, the roundtable post up there. And contribute your thoughts, and be surprised. You'll find that uh, there are folks out there who are struggling with the same things and maybe offer some cool suggestions for the things that hold you back, and maybe you'll discover something new that drives you forward. Anyway, thanks so much to my co-host for joining me. Hope you guys have a great day. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, John. Have a good show. And uh, stay tuned for the rest of the show. It's a good one. Thanks a lot. We'll be right back. As promised, we're always thinking of ways to bring you a fresh new perspective. Check out this lineup of our newest shows. The Amethyst Oracle, Divination with a Queer Twist, featuring Firefly Willow's L.I.V.E. favorite, Heisey Lutmers, and his co-host, Charlie Harrington, on the second Tuesday evening each month. A Shamanic Life, hosted by John Carousella, on the first and third Tuesday evenings each month. The brand new Embracing Change, The Joy of a New Path, with career coach Ivan Teams and John Carousella, the fourth Tuesday evening of each month. What's your prescription for balance? With Mildred Lynn McDonald and her co-host, Dr. Glenna Calder, the first Thursday afternoon each month. And Evolve, with Robin White Turtle Lisney, the third Thursday afternoon each month. We're excited. Give us a listen as we continue to create new and entertaining ways for you to shine your inner light. Join us at Firefly Willows, L-I-V-E. Welcome back. This is Convergence. I'm your host, John Carousella. And in today's Exploring Reality segment, I want to take you through uh, an, an experience that I'm actually in the process of going through, and it's thinking versus feeling. Now, it's been over a year, well, almost a year and a half, since I set the New Year's resolution to be as aware, competent, confident, and refined in my capacity to feel as I am in my capacity to think. If you want the progress report, well, I'm not there yet. Habits formed over 50 years of being a head-centered, mind-centered, thought-centered guy who was eh, honestly profoundly confused about what it means to feel, it turns out is not so easy to overcome. And even when I've managed to work the magic, it's still a 50 to 1 ratio. So let's just say I'm making progress. Here's what I used to do. I used to have a sensation, a feeling, and then analyze the heck out of it. Analyze and manipulate and review and turn it over and over. And if it seemed important, subject it to every thought exercise I could come up with. But that's not feeling. That's analyzing a feeling. The new exercise is to feel and stay with the feeling. Feel the feeling. It's okay to develop capacities for subtle and more refined awareness of the feeling as long as I'm still feeling, not analyzing. I found this to be a very powerful distinction. Feeling the feeling is very, very different from analyzing the feeling. Some of my earliest work on this challenge started in October of 2011. I was lying in bed, feeling depressed. In theory, I was supposed to get up and go running. But it was raining and I felt like a slug. 
I just felt all the things you feel when you're depressed, like a failure, like life was pointless, like any and all effort was in vain. You probably, you probably know this feeling. And, of course, me being me, I was at the same time analyzing my situation, attempting to discover the lesson, the optimized path, the growth that was available through this experience. And then all of a sudden I said, F this. I don't want to feel like this. This is stupid. So I thought about what and how I wanted to feel. I sorted through a catalog of feelings that I considered familiar. I wanted to feel happy. I wanted to feel powerful and strong. What did those things feel like? Really, what did they feel like? What would I be feeling in my body, in my chest, in my stomach, in my throat? What would I be feeling in my head? I worked my way around my body and actively recalled what it was like to feel happy and to feel powerful and registered the feeling, the natural consequence of that emotional state in various parts of my body. And then I looked a little deeper into that strange and indescribable place that is within. Where in that inner space did I feel something when I was happy? when I was powerful? And what exactly did I feel there? So to be fair, this exercise started with thinking and analyzing. It's a good thing I have so much practice, huh? What happened, though, was a real revelation. I actually conjured the feeling of happiness and power out of nothing but my intention. Well, and it turns out, my capacity to feel a capacity I had to revisit and make real an emotional state that was stored in my physiological memory. I could choose to resonate throughout my body to phase lock into that experience. It was a bit tentative at first, and the phase lock didn't catch or hold completely. But I quickly discovered that it was like a muscle that had always been there, but had not been exercised. I could do it, and it most definitely worked. But I was not very coordinated at it. So I had to continue to bring my attention to the process, much like uh, learning to tie your shoes or to throw a football. Lots of attention to details, mechanics, to the incoming data stream, and using the data to readjust. I was learning to conjure a feeling. Then, later that week, because I did not go running that morning, I went out for a run. I took the time to feel my breathing. Now, until this moment, I was an unconscious runner. I would run, but pretty much try to distract myself from feeling what was happening, because it was hard. Uncomfortable on my feet and knees, and in particular, my lungs would always be complaining. Now, I don't usually listen to music when I run because I'd rather be present to the birds and the breeze and the smells, but I would never really focus on my body because it would inevitably tell me, hey, this is uncomfortable. You are encouraged to stop anytime. This time, though, I chose to run an experiment. 
Based on my success the previous Sunday of conjuring a feeling, I would feel my breathing and play some conjure games with it. What happened? Well, at first, I felt my lungs laboring. I fell into my rhythmic breathing. Three strides inhale, three strides exhale, and then, as I got more winded, two strides in, two strides out. That was always where I would end up, laboring for the rest of the run to get enough oxygen to keep me going. This time, though, I conjured a feeling of having, uh, literally, of having lungs that were quite a bit bigger than my physical body. I imagined that my lungs inflated through my back, about the same thickness again as my chest, but also longer down my back, kind of like virtual memory in a computer, more capacity. And then, once I had imagined this shape, I began to feel what it would be like to breathe into those lungs. Not to think or imagine, but to actually feel this experience. I felt my traditional lungs. Then I felt into these larger virtual lungs and felt myself breathing into them. How did the expansion feel? How did the flow of air feel? in and out? How did the compression feel? How did it feel to have the extra capacity to capture oxygen and send it around? I focused on feeling it, not thinking about it or analyzing it, but feeling every breath in and out into a larger capacity lung system. Whoa! It was amazing. I picked up my pace and felt like I was running on the wind. Four strides in, four strides out. Piece of cake. I exulted in this feeling for, I would say, about a half mile, maybe maybe a little more. And then it started getting hard again. I was getting winded, and I had to slow down and change my pacing again, all the way back down to two strides in, two strides out. What was happening? I was very disappointed until I realized what went wrong. I was thinking about what I was feeling. Again, I had gone into the analysis of what I was accomplishing, figuring and factoring and forming theories and extrapolating and all those things I do when I stop feeling and start thinking. That process, that process of thinking and analyzing, required effort, not tremendous effort, really, probably because I'm so accustomed to doing it, but it wasn't really about the effort of thinking. It was about the consequence of taking my attention away from feeling. And feeling, as it turns out, is effortless. I have found that the feeling part, that feeling itself, is and continues to be effortless. But wait, you say, some things, especially painful things, are hard to feel. I don't think so. I think the feeling part is actually always effortless. It's the acceptance of the feeling, the dropping of resistance to the feeling, that's hard. As Haruki Murakami said, oddly enough in his book, What I Talk About When I Talk About Running, Pain is inevitable 
suffering is optional. So feeling, I think, is never hard. It's the suffering over what you're feeling that takes its toll. And as feeling is effortless, thinking is not. Thinking is a process that you compel. You structure it. You run the program. You analyze the outputs. And if you do it intensely, the way I do it, the, the way I did it throughout my career in high tech, it turns out it burns a lot of calories. But feeling, I've discovered, is something that happens. It simply flows into and through you. And as it turns out, it's something that you can conjure. And then with just the tiniest bit of attention, you can allow yourself to continue to feel. What you feel, well, that can shift like the wind, or you can hold on to the feeling simply by re-feeling it. There's another concept in computer memory known as DRAM or dynamic RAM. The majority of the memory in your computer is dynamic RAM. It's called dynamic because when you read what's stored, you actually have to rewrite the same thing in its place or it goes away. So the system is designed to rewrite whatever is read from memory. It's a built-in circuit. I get the sense that feeling from memory is a lot like that dynamic RAM circuit. If you conjure the feeling from memory, the feeling rewrites itself back into your memory again. So there is a bit of practice involved in all this, but it's a powerful tool. You can use it to rise out of depression like I did, or to run farther and faster, or to remain equanimous in a frustrating situation, to enjoy the time spent with your mother-in-law, perhaps. It turns out that choosing to feel and staying with the act of feeling is extraordinarily powerful and has taught me a lot about being in the present moment. It's like an act of mindfulness that's built right in. Raina Satori, whom I've had on this show last year, she teaches a kind of dance called contact improv. Raina said, the body is the perfect instrument for measuring the now. And it does that by feeling. Choose, feel, and stay with the feeling. You'll be amazed. We'll be right back. At Firefly Willows L-I-V-E, we're working hard to be your trusted source for fun, enlightening, and heart-centered information and community. And we're passionate about the art of transformative media, the new leading edge of communication in our highly connected, media-rich world. If you're passionate about facilitating change and you have gifts or ideas you'd like to share, come join us, host a show, or be a guest, or connect us to an amazing speaker or teacher whose message is too good to miss. There's always room for courageous, knowledgeable changemakers, inspired artists, and new ideas. Let us know you're interested. Send an email to info at fireflywillows.com. We're Firefly Willows, L-I-V-E helping you find and shine your inner light. Welcome back. This is Convergence. I'm your host, John Carasella. And with me for today's spirited conversation is Dawn Clark, an international best-selling author. Dawn has spent her life 
creating works that empower others to reshape not only their future, but also the future of the planet. Standing at the nexus of science and spirituality, she delivers a new vocabulary, insights, and tools that help people repair core fractures, clear toxic emotions, and repattern themselves for longevity and success. A visionary, an entrepreneur, and an inspirational teacher, Dawn delivers her message across multiple media platforms and genres. She has also counseled and advised people from all walks of life, including Nobel Prize and Emmy Award winners, Fortune 100 executives, psychologists, entertainers, teachers, parents, and teens. Her knowledge was deepened by a profound near-death experience, and her work incorporates the research of such notable physicists as William Tiller, Russell Targ, and Brian Greene, and biochemist Rupert Sheldrake. Don, welcome to the program. Oh, John, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. I, I got to tell you, I'm really excited to have you here on the show because as folks who listen to the show know, I'm, I love talking physics in the context of mysticism. <laughs> so I'm, I'm very excited about this. Um, and, and you were here in the Bay Area in April. In, yeah, I believe it was in March. In March, in March. Mm-hmm. And I had the opportunity to attend... Um, a session that you did that was sponsored by the Foundation for Mind Being Research. And I found it, um, and you were also at East West Bookstore locally too. And I found both of those experiences to be really, uh, they were, they were profound and they were beautiful. So thank you for that. Well, thank you for being there. <laughs> it was wonderful. It's, it's always such a pleasure to, to go speak in the Bay Area because we do have a lot of people there that are very physics oriented and very spiritual, which I think is like the synthesis point that is going to provide the innovation that we actually need to solve the problems facing our world today at a global level, at an environmental level, and even at a humanitarian level. So it's a very special, special place. And it's, a, it's like you say, a convergence that needs to happen. We need to explore. Yeah. Well, every time I contemplate the nature of things, it's, I, I get excited about that, that alchemy between science and mysticism. So, so uh, that's why you're a great guest to have on the show. So I'm excited to have you here. Um, so I want to start a little bit with um, in the direction of the physics. But I also want to tie in the nature of how you see it. You have some special gifts that allow you to see things in a different way. Can you share a little bit about how you see and what you see? Sure. Uh, for my entire life, I've been able to perceive what I would call fields of frequency and information. And we, we call it C with air quotes around it because I actually perceive it through multiple modalities. So it can appear like a hologram around me, this information, or I can see a frequency signature in someone's field, in their personal frequency field, or I can get direct knowings, or it can be an olfactory set of information. You know, absolutely everything in our world is energy vibrating at different speeds and has frequency to it, it has amplitude to it. And for me, that can be translated over into something that looks like very complex mathematical algorithms that make total sense to me, or I can connect with that algorithm or a hotspot in someone's field in an entire hologram will emerge either in my mind's eye or literally all around me as if I'm transported into that moment in time. Or I can recognize within people 
frequency signatures associated with different types of toxicity, like limiting beliefs, uh, not enough, for example, is a program that most of us run to some degree. It has a unique frequency signature, and the degree to which you carry it, there's a, a degree of amplitude to that frequency signature within someone's field. So it's, it's a very comprehensive way of perceiving additional information that is there for all of us to perceive, but we tend to not have the bandwidth to perceive it. So it goes far beyond uh, what people would characteristically think of as aura or color in aura or something along those lines. It it delves even beyond what you would think of as a medical intuitive because it really goes all the way to the rootstock of what caused the medical condition to start with. And and when you see it, so for example, when you say you you see, can see it like a hologram mm-hmm. uh, or as a as a as a as a complex mathematical mm-hmm. structure, do you do you actually see it as if it were um, a waveform? Mm-hmm. I can see I, I can see the waveforms, and sometimes it looks like an overlay, as if. Uh, do you remember the old um, oh goodness overhead projectors that they Uh-oh. used to teach math? Right? Indeed, math I do. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like okay, so here's the overhead projector showing the everyday world, and then somebody lays another. Uh, overlay on top of it, and I see both, but I see one through the lens of the other. Mm-hmm. So that happens to me fairly frequently. Uh, you see one through the lens of the other, and actually mm-hmm. that's probably really powerful uh, nuance. It's not like you just see two things. You see, you see one as constructively or destructively interfered with by the other. Exactly. So if somebody, for example, at one of these events that I'm at comes up and they're telling me their issue, initially I just see that person talking to me, but as soon as they earnestly log their heart on and they want to share, it's it's almost like when I walk through a hospital or an area where somebody has uh, transitioned in an untimely fashion, it's like they know I can hear, so they pop into the field. It's the same with these with these people. All of a sudden, into the field between us, I see an entire additional set of information, and as they speak... Certain things within that additional field of information will illuminate brighter. It's like the wattage of a bulb turning up from 5 or 10 watts to 1,000 watts. You'll really start to see where the problem is, the rootstock of the problem that they're speaking to you about. It's vibrating. And then if I reach my, I'll say my heart, but my consciousness out to connect with that, it's an unfolding within my mind's eye, like an extra picture in my head. Or the whole area just gives me a flash of the scene where that happened or what's that related to. And then sometimes if that person's still talking to me, I'll get that in picture-in-picture mode. So that'll happen off to the side (laughs) or it can engulf me. It's very multimodal for me. Uh, when, When it used to become completely engulfing was when I was younger. I grew up in Germany and and in Switzerland, but Germany is where I really experienced this the most, I would walk through the forests. Uh, we lived um, outside of Frankfurt, and there was big black forest out there. Not black forest. What was that called? The Taunus Mountains. And as I was walking sometimes as a child, you'd be thinking you were walking through this beautiful meadow full of flowers, and instantly the whole thing would transform for me, and I would hear bombers flying overhead, and guys would be shouting from foxholes, and guns would be going off. Oh, my God. And, and I was transported to something that was still imprinted with that particular field. It had been a battlefield. And I would have it happen with things that were 
seemed to be from the Crusades because the guys had swords and horses and all of that. Happens if I go to visit castles or dungeons. Goodness, dungeons will pop up. They, they will totally transport me back to that moment in time. And it's because of the emotional carrier waves that are associated with that event. They are so strong. They imprint the records of time of humanity as a as, a, as an entire consciousness. And I think some of Bill Tiller's work um, with regard to science for this is profound in terms of helping us to understand that emotion has the capacity to bridge dimensions of time and space and to actually condition space. So now, why, why is it emotion? I mean, what is it, what is it about emotion as opposed to um, the physicality of action or the or an intellectual, you know, ideation kind of thing? Why is emotion the, the powerful one? I'll tell you because I think the heart is the key to everything. <laughs> but um, emotion, particularly, and not all emotions are are created equal. But you know, I've, I've I personally have had um, more than one near death experience, and one of the biggest takeaways from those experiences has been that the heart connections are the ones that last through time. You know, this, that's that's the truth of it. It's not how much time you spend with somebody. It's about the entanglement of the heart, and Anytime we create bliss points, for example, extraordinary moments of joy, gratitude, all of that also has the power to etch the field. The best way I could describe it is if you could imagine um, a bandwidth like a, that was your normal everyday experience, mm-hmm. that really doesn't do much. I mean, you can't think back to what you had for lunch 27 days ago, most likely, unless, unless you had an extraordinary experience. Right. But if if something extraordinary happened, um, it, it, it etches your memory. Your brain is always on the lookout for frequency waves that have extraordinary amplitude, and it pays attention to it. Emotion has the power to do that. Emotional carrier waves, your brain will pay attention to that. It will process that information. It will absorb everything associated with it, and your brain is your quantum interface unit. It will transfer that imprint, whether it's positive or negative, down into your underlying morphogenetic field, which is your blueprint for life, Mm -hmm. and ultimately that becomes hard-coded into your DNA and passed on to your to your lineage, to your kids, to everybody. So I want to I want to hear a little bit about that, like the uh, the transition from emotional experience Mm -hmm. through this through what you called the the quantum interface device, which is your brain into the morphogenetic field, and then how does it get into your DNA? Mm. Okay, I, and I want to talk about that, and I want to also say that there's more. <laughs> there's more. <laughs> because okay. even, you know, when you think about what Bill Pillar's work documented, he documented um, how people, just by their belief systems, can condition space. Uh, they can condition machinery to output different pH results on water. They can by their intention and belief systems, they can create changes in the um, the DNA structure of fruit flies. I, I mean, his work is phenomenal in terms of documenting the results of this. And I think we're just, from a physics perspective, beginning to be able to document the power of what I call emotional carrier waves. Now, in terms of what I said earlier, as far as an individual and getting this transferred over to your DNA, you know, your brain is always perceiving frequency and translating that into your perception of the world. 
and it's conditioned uh, to perceive the world through a certain lens. Uh, your upbringing helps to put that online. Your DNA in this physical body that you were born in has predispositions. You're conditioned to even see certain things that other cultures may not even notice. So your brain is conditioned to pay attention already to a certain type of frequency patterns. It knows what they are. It recognizes them. That's how it it really pays attention to, to how your experience in life is. And an easy way to think about this is if, for example, you never knew how to look for real estate deals, you weren't conditioned, you never had that education, your brain didn't pick up those frequency patterns, you probably could drive by a great real estate deal all day long and never see it. It wouldn't pop in your head. Right. The second you start learning how to recognize that frequency signature, you'll start to see it. It's, it's like when you buy that car and all of a sudden you see them everywhere. Right. Um, so your brain is always scanning. It's also, from a survivalistic standpoint, scanning for things that are associated with intense emotion, initially particularly like fear, danger, alarm, alert, right? So it looks for those things because when it sees those, it's like, I better pay attention. I better imprint everything I know about this so I can avoid it. And... In that, it perceives both the bliss points. We remember, most all of us do, if it was good, our first kiss or the first time we made love or any of these other bliss points associated with life. Well, it's the same with the, with the valley moments in life, the, the, the pain, the sorrow, the car accident, the loss of somebody. Um, the brain perceives the peak and valley experiences. The information is coded in the, in the wave, in the frequency of that imprint and it takes all of that information in now from a neuroscience standpoint you could think of it like a person who suffered uh, PTSD they will know the sounds associated with that trauma their brain will have registered the air temperature associated with that trauma all of that information is imprinted mm. and what happens here is that from a frequency standpoint it's transferred over all the way to the underlying morphogenetic field, which is our underlying blueprint for life. And from a morphogenetic standpoint, uh, Rupert Sheldrake's work on morphogenetics is, is beautiful in terms of illustrating this underlying blueprint. This underlying blueprint sits in what's called non-local reality. It's meaning it's not limited by time or space. So the information that's stored there, the trauma imprint that gets down in there, or the bliss imprint that gets stored down there, is it's like it's always running in, in real time. It's there and it's resonating out. Everything resonates. So this blueprint resonates the information stored in it back out into the world. And in that, it's also resonating up through your body. Your DNA picks up everything and it encodes in a part of your DNA that's called well science used to call it junk DNA because they oh, didn't know right. what it is, right? Okay. But now they know that, that really your junk DNA, which comprises over ninety seven percent of your DNA, really has a language written into it. And that's it's just part of the nature of how we work to survive. We tend to store these danger imprints. Um, the trouble is that a lot of times we, we are imprinted with things that are no longer relevant today. Um, and w when we're broadcasting those out into the world, 
they continue to shape the world around us because the world around us is shaped as a direct reflection of what we're broadcasting. So if you're broadcasting something about being burned at the stake because you revealed the truth about who you are, um, yeah, it's just not serving you very well. (laughs) (laughs) So, so that's the physics of how that loop takes place. Uh, Now from an outward perspective with the war and all of that, we have the collective consciousness of hundreds of soldiers in fear for their lives. The emotional intensity of that is very profound and it's imprinting the morphogenetic field at large, which, you know, we've called it the Akashic records through times, the collective consciousness. You can also imprint the very ground that it's associated with. So technically you could access that imprint from either a non-local viewpoint like remote viewing or by simply standing on that ground, it would be accessible. Mm. Yeah, that, that always reminds me of, uh, you know, the whole holographic nature of things reminds me of Indra's net. Is, is that yeah. something that you're familiar with? Definitely. You know, in holography, even the tiniest piece of something has the capacity to recreate the entirety of something. It's so very true. And when I'm, when I'm helping people get to the next stage in their life, whatever that is, you know, I, I, I want them to understand that every little thing they do to help themselves it helps all of us. It helps the world at large. And we can think about it from that Indra's net perspective or from a fractal perspective mm. or even from the, you know, the butterfly effect where the flap of a butterfly wing can lead to a hurricane in the tropics or from uh, the Maharishi effect where it just takes such a small number of people to get an idea to send that idea collectively to the consciousness as a whole. We really do. Each one of us counts. We make such a difference. Each and every one of us can can make a big difference in the world when we help ourselves. Well, it's a it's a powerful um, thinking about it. The thinking about the construction of reality in that way leads you to some some powerful conclusions about what's possible and about the nature of, of your influence over what's possible simply sure. because everything, you know, really every, you, the universe does exist in a grain of sand, you know? <laughs> so if that's the case, it you know, it does. And you had asked me earlier about the difference between thinking about something versus the emotional carrier waves. Well, thinking is great and thinking forms structures within the energy field, but they're not impassioned. It's like the difference between a, a body that's a corpse versus a living body. You can have the structure there, but until you put the anima in it, it can't really take to life the way you want it to. So if you were emotionless about what you were thinking about, you just can't do the same things. And the fields of uh, potential energy, raw energy that are waiting to materialize, the synchronicity that's waiting to come online, that happens when we're passionate about what we're thinking about or when we move to what I call a triple bottom line and we, we move to, you know, gratitude and love and compassion um, in ways that just activate raw fields of potential across the board. Mm. So I, I want to just touch on something that the, the, um, the junk DNA thing, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. you know, Bruce Lipton talks about, uh, the biology of belief, and he, he talks mm-hmm. about the the powerful resonator function that um, is the nature of feeling, right? So, but yes. like our, the 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 first the first sense of of uh, a 
the simplest living form was feeling because that's how that was the way they received input from the outside world you know a, a single celled organism feels its environment as much as it does anything else right whatever those sensory capacities are and um the so so we have this we're, we're this big collection of cells that are feeling and we have this dna inside them and you know there's um there's the darwin thing which says that all of our behavior, all of our characteristics are inherited. But there's also this Lamarckian revival kind of thing where um, the experiences that we that we live through are kind of epigenetically patterned into our into our biology through you know and, and that's how that's how different parts of our DNA are activated is through this resonance with our experience and I, I felt this that um, the waves that are coming up through the through my experience in the world my through my present moment have the capacity to trigger physiological changes in me and is, is that is that your experience as well is that Absolutely. And I would even add an, another layer to that. Um, so I think the whole Darwinian approach is extremely limited, not that it doesn't have um, merit in terms of, you know, how we can genetically evolve, but certainly this, that our body responds to our experiences is directly linked to this whole idea that our experiences, especially the poignant ones, imprint in in such a way that they then uh, feed back that information to the DNA that responds. And one of the things that I love about Bruce Lipton's work is that he goes on to say, you know, over 90% of us that ultimately developed cancer didn't have any genetic predisposition to it necessarily to start with. It happened as a response to how we responded to our environment and the messaging that we then sent into our body. And he also, in in a, I thought it just an entertaining conversation he had with Rupert Sheldrake, um, was arguing about the nature of each one of our cells as being able to receive information. And while we can uh, certainly say that the brain is the quantum interface unit, I will tell you that I agree that each of our cells is receiving this this sea of frequency constantly the information is coming from it that's why some of the um, information comes across in a sentient way uh, where we perceive it palpably as opposed to just as a visual thing you know that's why i say perceive fields of frequency as opposed to just seeing because that's a, a small part of how you can perceive now on top of all of that i will tell you that your soul when it beams into your body to have this life experience, your soul also has an agenda. You're not just the sum total of your genetics or of your life experiences. You also have predispositions based on what you came in to do as a soul. And one of the things I've seen as long as I can remember in people is something I call a soul print that's imprinted within their field that resonates the very essence of who they are, what they came to do, what their passions are, what their purpose is here. It's their passion play for, for this lifetime. And a lot of times to get there, you have to both clear up anything you didn't have, you know, clear it up if you believe in past lives, clear that sort of thing up. And you have to sometimes get 
part of the DNA that you inherit when you come into the body cleared up. We each have an opportunity to heal part of humanity by virtue of the bodies that our souls are sitting in. We can transform the DNA that we were born into. We can evolve it through our spirit and change the legacy of humanity. So we're not just the sum total of, you know, the Darwinian philosophy or even of the fact that, you know, our DNA changes based on our life experience. There's more. We have the power to reconnect with the essence of who we are. We have the power to intentionally create our world around us when we start to understand both how to get rid of things that are holding us back, like core toxic emotions, how to heal fractures that we've suffered, um, core fractures due to trauma in our life, how to let go of imprinted limiting beliefs. We can create anything we want to out of life when we learn how to work with these fields of frequency. And in that sense, we can even upgrade tremendously um, the longevity of our body, the health of our body, the uh, information in our DNA. We can innovate solutions to the problems um, in the world at large when we start learning how to connect with raw fields of potential without these false limitations. We have a whole bunch of false limitations built into our DNA. Well, okay, so... uh Let's. There's a lot more to talk about here, so let's take a short break. And and when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about um, how you came to these capacities that you have, and uh, and how you can help us. So we'll we'll take a short break, and then we'll be right back. A personal tarot reading can offer you insight, information, enlightenment, and empowerment along your life's path. Hi C is a professional tarot conversationalist and ritualist with over ten years' experience. He's available for readings in a variety of formats, including parties and events. To schedule your personal Tarot reading, contact HiC at tarotbyhic.net or email him at hic at fireflywillows.com. Welcome back. This is Convergence, and I'm your host, John Carasella, here in Spirited Conversation with Don Clark. Don, before the break, uh, you were talking about the the soul print, the, the, the reason that people have come into this world and, and the, the, the depth and richness of the information that, um, that really s- surrounds each of us. And I just, it struck me that that's a lot of complex information. There's a lot of complex data that you are being, that you are being, have the gift to be able to perceive. Did it take you some time to, understand like what a particular curve shape or a particular intensity level or a particular amplitude or what you know whatever these things were that when they came into your perception did it did you where'd you get the decoder ring (laughs) (laughs) that is a good question indeed well as early as age three i can remember seeing this part of somebody's frequency that was what i call now their soul print and i knew it was their truth and i knew i wanted to help people resonate completely into that and I could see the parts that were getting in the way but it was very general for me it was like oh they're stuck in anger because I could see it resonate more loudly when they would move into into anger but at that time it was it was almost like uh, I was a preschooler not really knowing exactly what everything was I just knew that I really desired to help people walk into this place of their authentic selves and I can remember trying to help my grandmother do that and my mother and you have to understand at this time I was also 
seeing people who transitioned, who were giving me messages. My family was getting very nervous about what I was perceiving. They were forbidding me to talk about it. It was, it was, an, it was an interesting time and a time where I started to feel very kind of alone in all of this information. And I had my first near-death experience at seven. I was actually, I dove off the high dive and I was swimming to the side of the pool and somebody jumped off too soon behind me and they landed right in the middle of my back and knocked the wind out of me and I went to the bottom of the pool and the lifeguard didn't notice. And for me, I felt the person land on my back and the next thing I knew I felt like I was floating up through these clouds and arriving at this, goodness, this most magical place that was so love oriented and I felt so welcome and so understood and it the, the first thing it did was take away my fear of death because I, I don't know you know you know but a lot of kids have this fear of death and here I was already seeing people that had crossed over and I didn't know what to think so it took that away very instantly and then I was asking when I was on the other side of the guides that showed up I said you know what do I do with all of this information and and how do I help and the in, the answer was to start to learn it as a vocabulary, not to try to figure out what to do yet, but just to start to understand it as a vocabulary. Oh. And so when I came back after that near-death experience, I, I woke up on the side of the pool. They were doing CPR. Um, life had changed for me, and suddenly I began to be able to, I guess you would say my um, perceptual abilities were fine-tuned. So if you thought about that from a truly a seeing perspective. It's like I got glasses and I could see things a little bit sharper, the mathematical frequencies, the the wavelengths, the clustered information. Um, and I started to be able to make categories. So then you could think of it like learning math and how to read at the same time. Certain things formed sentences, others formed paragraphs, others were associated with this. And I got this very broad range of vocabulary. And then when I was nine, um, I was diagnosed with scoliosis. And at that time, they did no pre-screening. So by the time I ended up at the doctor's office, my curves were already at 50 degrees. And they didn't have, uh, I was in the military, uh, my, my dad was, so we had a military doctor. Uh, they didn't have any um, surgery at the time available to fix it. And so basically, they said, you know, based on the, the progress of your curves and I wasn't holding in the Milwaukee brace. They said, we give you about two years before your rib cage collapses over your diaphragm and, you know, you're, you're basically going to terminate. Wow. And that it didn't scare me. It didn't scare me because I'd already crossed over. Right, right. But uh -huh. I got to watch the response of my family and I got to learn more vocabulary and I got to learn about grief and this and that. And I wasn't worried about it at all. Now, as, as luck would have it, they, um, in the, in the private medical field, they did come up with a surgery called the Harrington Rod, and I was one of the prototype patients for this new version of the Harrington Rod, and uh, I was 12 when I had the surgery, and the doctor who invented the surgery had had a stroke, and so one of the assistants did it. My aorta got nicked on the table, I bled out, and I crossed over again, wow. and it was phenomenal. I ended up in this celestial garden that was so exquisite. It was so exquisite. The very air that you breathe was love. And it would 
it would just bubble through your whole system from the inside out and the, the flowers around you and the leaves. Everything was a resonance of love. And these same guides came up again. And I said, you know, well, I did a great job. I learned all this vocabulary. And they said, that's great. Now you know enough for us to teach you how to fix it. Because basically for every frequency that is a negative, like an I'm not enough or I don't count or scarcity programming or a toxic emotion, there is an antidote frequency. Mm-hmm. For, it's just like in physics, you know, where you have an antiphase completely cancels out the other wave, right? There's a there's a, a fix for everything that's out of whack. And when you fix it, the people are able to actually log back on to the essence of who they are. They can learn how to create things. And so I didn't really want to come back this time, though, and I actually argued with the guy because <laughs> I didn't I didn't find the earth plane to be all that wonderful all I thought this was the Vietnam War era all I saw was a lot of struggle suffering loss people unhappy I just and they said no no you have to go back and I felt like this giant hand grabbed me around the middle and threw me back down in my body and I I spent years after that in what I call night school Every night for two to three hours, I would be taken to what seemed like a classroom, looked like a classroom, had a blackboard. Some person would be wheeled in. I would be shown the problem. Math formulas are flying all over the blackboard. I'd be shown the frequencies to fix them. This is where I was taught even hands-on healing, like how do you carry that frequency, the antidote frequency? What does it feel like? What does it vibrate like? What's the spectrum? How do you heal these clusters of things? because most things are clustered. I was also shown how um, things that are embedded in our morphogenetic field at core fractal out into all areas of life. So not enough will fractal out into business, into your relationships, into your health, just like betrayal can. And so it went on and on, and I got that instruction for at seven years, just every night. I have notebooks filled with notes. Wow. I would take notes at night and wake up in the morning and, you know, a few weeks later, somebody would come in in real life with that, and that was like my test. So by my by my late teens, I was already starting with a practice um, of helping people. And when I was in my, you know, single parent, and I had a practice, and I was seeing people seven days a week, that's when this next huge breakthrough occurred. And it was like, you know, I can only see so many people, and I, which which dying person do I tell? that I can't visit with them. So here I am raising three kids by myself. And that's when I really started to beg the universe for a way that I could help people help themselves because I felt that the power needed to be put into people's hands. The understanding of how this worked needed to be transferred over along with a, a mechanism by which they don't have to practice being a shaman for their entire lives. They don't have to you know, learn how to perceive energy, there had to be a technology that could be developed that could give them access to these healing frequencies regardless of what the problem was. And and beyond actually working with the healing frequencies, there's a whole different way to think about life and how it's constructed. There's a, a framework for intentional creation that we can understand and be living and walking every single day. And so, is there a summary statement you can make about the nature of that framework? What is it? Is it absolutely. Is it, okay. Well, you know, the world around us, it, so, so at the most fundamental level, I think it's important for people to understand that sound shapes matter. 
So um, I, I, I'll tell you later, but I'm, I'm putting out this uh, free three-part video training series, and in it I have a video that shows that. But the resonance of sound can move matter around it. You know, the, the tone of an A or an O, if you resonate that through a plate that has um, salt on it, for example, the salt will take different shapes depending on the sound that resonates through it. Everything is energy vibrating at different speeds, and in that, it has a vibration and a sound, maybe out of your hearing range, but there's a, there's a vibratory sound, a resonance that, that goes with that. It's shaping the world around you. The people that you attract, the situations that you attract, it's good to stop thinking of it as a track and better to start thinking about it like phase coherence. They're in phase with the frequency, the resonance that you're putting out into the world. So if you want to change the life that you're experiencing, if you want more prosperity, want more love, want more opportunity, want that business to take off, it's imperative that you get your broadcast, that resonant broadcast that you're putting out into the world to be in phase with or in sync with the world that you really want to be experiencing. And once people understand that that's fundamental, that's just a basic, you can't live a life that you're not in sync with, or at best you get what I call glimpsing. People that do a lot of laws of attraction, they may be able to muscle something into their life, but it won't stick. It's only there for a short while. It's like People that win the lottery and then a year later they're broke again. It doesn't yeah. stick. It's like yeah. a tra- it's like a transient crossover. Exactly. There's mm-hmm. no there's no congruence in the wave yeah. um, patterning. So if we understand that that's like a fundamental basic that it impacts our health, our relationships, the opportunities that show up, the success of our business, it it's a, a core fractal that goes out into all areas of your life. Then if you get that, you can learn how to modulate that frequency both from a conscious perspective and how to fix it deeply at core at the morphogenetic field level. Wow, this is really cool. And I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm catching something here that uh, I want to just reflect to you as I'm... Uh, and one of the reasons why the heart is the, the, is the driver of this, perhaps, is because it, is, it, it, has, it happens on a frequency. Right, and your heart is your core frequency because it's beating all the time. Your heart is your core frequency, and your heart is ultimately connected to that soul essence. Yeah. Wow. One of the first ways it percolates up is, you know, you may feel dissatisfied with life. That's your heart telling you there's more. Sometimes it becomes a yearning. You know, that's that's your soul print talking through your heart. And um, the the trick is, though, we can't get very far in terms of um, popping raw fields of potential on your behalf if you're coming just from want. We have to learn to move beyond want into intentional creation because want, that that vibration of want, leaves us um, functioning with just the Legos that are on the table. Like, if you want a blue Lego, it's got to come from somewhere that's already been created from. It's that that's this world of haves and have-nots. It leaves you in the in the scarcity modality. If you can learn to transform that vibration of want with your heart into something I call a triple bottom line, um, you actually can start creating things out of thin air that didn't exist before. You can create opportunities that don't take anything away from anybody else. It just creates a better world for everybody. Well, this this is really powerful and, and very beautiful stuff. Uh, let's 
let's take another quick break and, and we'll come back and, and talk some more about the work that you're doing uh, in the world here and, and some of the projects that you have coming up. Okay, so a short break and we'll be right back. Hi, this is John Carasella, your host for Convergence on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. I truly enjoy putting this show together for you. It's an honor and a blessing to share what I learned from my guests, co-hosts, and personal travels. If you'd like to help, contributions in any amount are gratefully received. Send a contribution via PayPal to convergence at fireflywillows.com. Your support means a lot to me. Thanks for listening, and thanks for your support. Welcome back. This is Convergence. I'm your host, John Carasella, in spirited conversation with Don Clark. Don, I'm having a great time. The, the terrain we're covering is just fascinating to me. So you do a bunch of different things. You have a, a variety of, of ways of applying the tools that you've been gifted with uh, in, in helping people understand their field and, and repair their field. And what I saw that attracted me was um, the clearing core toxic emotions. Can you talk, mm-hmm. share a little bit about that? Sure, sure. And I want to say that all the things I do are designed to help you really walk into that all of who you are piece. It's just about getting rid of the interference. And there's different kinds of interference, and that's why there's different different products. Oh, How about okay. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Even, even the book that I wrote is about revealing the power when we become a warrior from the heart as opposed to from force. And it's, of course, a counterterrorism thriller. It was so, a great book, too, by the way. It was fun. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm glad you liked it. Um, it's called it's definitely... The Forbidden Text, for those the of you who want to know. <laughs> you can okay, find it so on John's website. We'll talk about that later. Core toxic emotions. Within this underlying blueprint that you have, your blueprint for life, which you can think of like your morphogenetic field because it's your, your source code, if you will, um, you could think of it like a three-layer cake, and each layer has different types of information in it. The bottom layer is where you would get fractured, like deeply fractured if you were heartbroken or suffered a trauma or a loss or, uh, you know, a war experience that just broke you at core. That's the core fracturing piece. It can even happen with something as simple as getting spanked when you were young. Mm. It usually involves a breaking of trust. The next level up is where core toxic emotions are stored. And, boy, they have a very interesting energy. They are um, thick and goopy. You could think of them like globs of oil. Uh, It involves things like guilt, shame, anger, regret. And that anger I'm talking about may initially be anger you feel towards others, but ultimately it's rooted in anger that we feel with ourselves. Um, And it is so interesting because anytime I'm working with somebody who has cancer or health-related issues, you can see the connection between that and these core toxic emotions. The vibration of them literally acidifies our field. You can think about health from a purely biological standpoint, and we say, to to move into health, you need to have proper pH balance. You can't be too acidic. Right. Well, these core toxic emotions, when you get rid of them, your physiological pH balance responds. Mm. These things can acidify your field and in turn become just an invitation for systemic disease. Uh, it's tremendous. Now, the next flare up, is where our, you could think of it like our linguistic programming, but it's beyond language. It's the vibration of language. It's like the alchemical 
part of language is stored. So all those limiting beliefs about not enough or think about money doesn't grow on trees or that's not possible, all of that stuff, both positive and negative, is imprinted in that in that layer. And, boy, if you've got limiting beliefs in that layer, you can think of it like, having viruses in your computer's operating system. You can be trying to run that program. Let's say you're trying to run QuickBooks, you're trying to get on the Internet. If you've got viruses in your computer's operating system, it's going to impact your ability to run that program, to do what you want to do. And if the longer you leave them down there, the more they spread. And it's the same with these viruses that are in your morphogenetic field. Those limiting beliefs are broadcasting out there repeating themselves, replicating themselves, and you re-experience it over and over again, and it reinforces exactly what you don't want to have happen. So you could be working really hard at creating that next thing in your life, but if you've got a belief in there that is about not enough or it's not possible or, you know, I don't deserve it, it's just not going to happen for you. It's going to undermine, it's like corrupting it from inside out. Yeah. And the same, yeah, the same thing happens with our beliefs about our ability to heal or our ability to find love or our ability to create success. And authentic success is, is, is an interesting thing. Uh, authentic success is when we're both supported and our soul print is online. You know, we're living what we came to do. That's when we find that. So those are the three, uh, the three layers within this morphogenetic field. And the, the programs that I put together are to address each of those issues in addition to helping you really know how to walk it every day. Because we need to know how to consciously create in addition to getting our, our operating system cleared up. So if we go back to the computer, for example, you get rid of all the viruses, you defrag the darn thing, you've got the latest version in there, you still have to know what, how to navigate the Internet or how to, you know, run a new program. Right. So it's, it's, it's both of those things, but it applies to us. And then you can create anything, just like if you had a, a computer that was running well, you could create anything you want to with the right program running on top of it. Mm. Well, something that came up for me as you were describing this, and I'm not exactly sure why, but um, I, I'm, I'm called to ask the question about the core toxic emotions and, and core fractures mm-hmm. and, and the limiting beliefs, I guess, too, of our social fabric, of like our government. Um, I mean, they, you know, a lot of us want to make a difference in the world. We're called to uh, shift the vibration of the institutions that are driving the bus, so to speak. Sure, and, sure. And it's very easy to get totally depressed about what's going on and, and feel helpless. Um, how do we, can, is there a uh, repairing core fractures or clearing toxic emotions program for the federal government? <laughs> <laughs> well, first I want to say, I want to go back to what I said earlier, that everything you do, every toxic emotion you clear personally, is going to benefit the planet as a whole. Um, the second thing I want to say, and, and we talked earlier about, you know, the um, the Maharishi effect and the butterfly effect and all of that. So you, you could look those up and the, the physics even of the Maharishi and the butterfly effect and, and see how rapidly one little change you make can count. But 
let's talk for just a second about the fact that each time also that you get rid of one of these interference patterns and you move closer to embracing the resonance of your authentic self of love in in with capital L, this big love, um, the less capable you are truly doing harm to others because you start to intrinsically know how interconnected we all are. Now, that knowing alone, again, is going to start rippling out into the consciousness of the whole, and we all start to wake up a little bit. We're seeing that on the planet. Now, in terms of the federal government, I'm going to say that I think that there will be new forms of government that we're giving birth to. I Sometimes um, one of my good friends wrote Starfish and the Spider, and it does talk about this, these dinosaur types of governments, big business, big government, and um, how the Apache Indians were able to defeat our, our much uh, greater in number soldiers in the United States for so long because of how they functioned in these small tribes that were very quick and very fluid. It's the same thing here, um, and you saw it in Egypt as well. When we come from the heart, we're going to be able to innovate brand new solutions, and there's going to be an evolution of what we perceive as government is today. the, The government we currently have is born out of scarcity programming. It's born out of very, very old, outdated DNA mentalities. So... You just need to trust that the the change will occur and the support will be there for it. Just like when you saw the change in Egypt, you know that happened very peacefully with a shift in consciousness of enough people to allow the next evolution to come in. Not that it's perfect; it is an evolutionary process that requires refinement. There is definitely hope, and when I look into the future, I keep. I keep for the last, I don't know, a lot over the last five years, I keep beaming into the future, whether it's 20 years or 50 years, and taking a look at the government systems that we have and what our ecosystems are doing and and how is humanity surviving. And, you know, I'm happy to tell you that from what I saw five years ago, which was very touch and go um, for 50 years out, I'm seeing a stabilization in the field and I'm seeing hope that I didn't see five years ago. We are we are making a difference in our future. And I do see a new governing body. It's it's very interesting. I got I got a degree actually in geopolitics. So I initially thought that the way for me to help the world was to become Secretary of State. Mm-hmm. I quickly realized that, you know, working within our existing institutions wasn't going to do that. So I don't think we're gonna be able to fix the federal government in its current incarnation. Okay, so I guess um, the thought then is is the suggestion that we really focus on clearing ourselves and and I guess what is the role of activism? Um, Clear you know, yourself and move into your passion. Start becoming all of who you are. Each of us has something that we came to do down here. It doesn't have to be ruling the you know the world or writing a book or anything like that. Whatever it is that you came to do, you're going to know it when you find it. Time flies. You, It's something you wish there were more hours in the day to do. And when you learn how to work through this new um, intentional creation, if you will, you can find a way to do that, have it support you and support the world. It triggers a ripple effect around the world. Innovation becomes possible. I know that even today, uh, some of the 
things that I've seen in these visions from the future, I was actually called to be a futurist a few years ago at an emerging technologies conference. You know, I, I have the privilege of going and consulting with uh, innovators who are trying to build these devices that take the methane gas out of the air. It's We're going to start working collaboratively instead of competitively. Mm. And so the best thing you can do is get rid of the things that are holding you back and start becoming all of who you are, living passionately, and it's it's all going to change. It just it just is inherently going to ripple out. You're not a single bio body unit down here. Anything you do, whether it's for the you know the, the betterment or or you know something that takes you back down into scarcity programming, it ripples out. So collaboration, moving out of fear, uh, learning how to build um, with possibility in mind. I'm always amazed when I talk to people, leaders, that will tell you there's not a, there's not a hope that we can fix um, global climate change problems any longer. And I, I just look at them and I say, well, I guess with that belief system, there really isn't. You know, we need to change that belief system at core, and I guarantee you there's a way to fix it. And if you look back at the innovations that we've had over the course of even recent history, Look at the miracle of penicillin. And who would have thought 100 years ago we could be doing MRIs and seeing the inside of tissue that way? All we need to do is be able to dream it and then be able to listen to these new fields of information that are trying to come in. We have to expand the Legos Mm. that we're currently playing with. And we can do it. We can do it. Okay, so what's the number one thing that holds us back? I think it depends on where people are. Sometimes it's just not even knowing that there's that there's more. Once they start knowing there's more, core toxic emotions, core fractures, limiting beliefs, um, that's what holds us back. Once you clear those things out of the way, you immediately start resonating in with your soul print because there's nothing disconnecting you vibrationally from it. Mm. So, so it's not so much about planting the garden as it is about weeding the garden. <laughs> you got to weed the garden, and you have to know how to water the garden. Yes. Uh huh. Yeah. Cool. So, so the garden has already been planted, if you will. That that seed, the essence of who you are, is there. Yeah, that's your soul print, right? That's your yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. there. It's there. It's waiting to be nurtured, and it's waiting for those weeds to stop taking up, like you say, all of the um, the sunshine and, and the little bit of water that's there. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Don, we're almost out of time. Is there is there any last thought you'd like to share uh, about your you know the things we've talked about today? Or well, my biggest um, thought is just that I just want everybody to know that anything's possible. You can create the life that you'd like to live. It it is possible to do that. All you have to do is get rid of the interference and learn how to um, consciously focus on that, that watering that garden, intentional creation and the heart the heart is the key to all of it and um that's one of the reasons why i wrote the forbidden text even was i looked i took a problem that was of global proportions and i showed the power of seeking a solution through the heart now it's not as you will probably agree john it's not sappy and it's not it's really like mainstream um thriller Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's it's not all touchy feely it's it's a, it's it's regular movie it's not a, going it's not a self help book yeah. <laughs> no however 
the people who are aware see the lessons in there. And it's interesting how many times people write in and say, oh, you know, I was stuck and I did exactly what the main character did here and it worked. So they're getting the applications in everyday life. So that and, and I'm, um, it's, it's all possible. You can absolutely change your world and create that life of your dreams. Well, I, I love I love the the message of hope uh, and possibility, and I love the fact that it's uh, that your story, the way you share your story, is through the vocabulary of some of these really cool uh, aspects and elements of physics and resonance and and fields. Because I, I, it, it works for me, it, it resonates for me, and I hope our listeners find it uh, just as compelling. So, um, if folks want to get to know you or your work a little bit better, um, what do you got that's going on and, and where should we direct them? Well, I have so many things going on and I, I, I would love to share. Um, my website is uh, Dawn Clark, D-A-W-N-C-L-A-R-K dot net. And on there, if you go on the website, you can read about me, you can watch videos, you can, if you sign up to um, for this drawing where I give away free books, You'll be on an email list, and later this month, I'm going to be actually sending out a free three-part video training program. It's almost three hours of video where I'm talking one-on-one to the camera, not to another group, teaching how you can start to really activate your source code, your morphogenetic field for success in life. And so I take all the principles that we've talked about today, and I expand on them. I've got flip charts and all (laughs) kinds of – it's really great instruction. And those are totally free. And I uh, just, you know, go to my website, register for the free drawing for the book, and I'll be happy. I'll be sending it to everybody who's registered for the for the free book drawing. Cool. And and you're planning on, uh, I hope, uh, having doing some work in the Bay Area again soon. I will. I'm planning on teaching clearing core toxic emotions in the Bay Area this summer. So I'm very excited about that. And, I, John, I hope you're going to be there to join me. Oh, I'm definitely going to be there. I mean, that was the one thing that I saw in the work that the very brief time that we, I had the chance to observe your work and participate was like, get me that clear toxic emotions class. <laughs> Stat. It makes, it makes such a huge difference in life. It just changes life. When, I, when my first book was um, released internationally and I went over to speak in Israel, it was one of the most moving experiences I've ever had when I had Holocaust survivors who were so stuck in, in anger and victimhood take that class and everything inside of them shifted and they started support groups for other people and it rippled out into their health and into their relationships and can't, you know, I, I know we have to be very careful about uh, medical things, but I saw people have their, their cancer and their health issues disappear as their toxic emotions dissolved. Yes. And it's way beyond forgiveness. Forgiveness is just a, a toe through the door of what it means to truly clear those out and, and alchemize that vibration into something that supports you. Oh, fantastic. I'm so, I'm so excited and looking forward to it. So that's that's uh, dawnclark.net is the main focus for folks to get in touch with Dawn. Uh, and I really, you know, personally recommend that you do that because uh, I think this work is very powerful. It was for me uh, and I'm looking forward to more of it. So Don, thank you very much for joining us on the show and I'm sure we'll be in touch again soon. John, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. Yes, we've added to our lineup of lively, thought-provoking shows. But don't forget our original Sunday morning lineup at 10.30 a.m. 
Join us for Healing Conversations with Mildred Lynn McDonald every first Sunday. Revolution with Heisey Ludmers every second Sunday. Convergence with John Carousella every third Sunday. And our popular on-air call-in show the fourth Sunday of every month. We're excited. Give us a listen as we continue to create new and entertaining ways for you to shine your inner light. Join us at Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. Welcome back. This is Convergence, and I'm your host, John Carousella. For today's reflection, I want to take you on an exploration of the power of words. Now, this topic is worth much more than we can devote in this one segment, but it's so deep and fascinating that I want to bend your ears for just a little while about it. We'll revisit it more off and on as the months go by. My guest, Dawn Clark, mentioned something almost in passing in describing the work she does. She talked about our linguistic programming, the vibration of language. She talked about it as a layer and of limiting beliefs imprinted in that layer. What I want to explore is, what is that layer? And what is the nature of its power? To understand this layer, we have to go back a very, very long way. We have to go back to a time when language was just emerging in us as a species. We can look at the story of Genesis in the Bible and find this moment. It's when God is walking through the garden with Adam, and Adam is naming things. Metaphorically, allegorically, this is the story of the emergence of language. Where did language come from? Imagine the Paleolithic human mimicking sounds in nature, mimicking the sounds of his own body, the sounds of the wind, the birds and the animals, the crickets, the waterfall, the waves, the sounds of fire, and discovering the power of relating an experience through these sounds. And it may not have been just sounds. It may have been, and probably was, also gestures and maybe drawings in the dirt. But to really appreciate this shift, you have to try to imagine a world a way of being in the world that didn't rely on this kind of technology because it didn't exist yet. And then it did. From grooming gestures and territorial displays to the conveying of a specific idea about a specific thing. At this moment, several things happen in the consciousness of mankind. First and perhaps most important, some specific experience an object, a moment, an expression, or a feeling, is pulled out of the tapestry of the whole. It's in this moment we find the beginning of duality. Something ceases to be a part of everything else and becomes its own self, a separate thing. The second thing that happens is that by naming it, pulling it out of the whole, it ceases to be background and becomes foreground. And third, whatever has been named becomes the focus of attention and manipulation. It can be described and exchanged and understood and interpreted as its own separate thing. 
Imagine a world without this technology. And then, what happens to that world when this technology is discovered? It's theorized that the emergence of language was one of the primary reasons for the dramatic increase in the size of the human brain. Language bestowed such an evolutionary advantage that those who had it, and the brain size necessary to use it, dramatically outsurvived those who didn't. Now, when, when Don talks about the programming or the vibration of our language circuits as a layer, and a layer that carries imprinting, this is the nature of the layer we're working with, one that sculpted the human brain. One can argue that it is the very thing that our massive brains have evolved around to harness and process. Imagine now what could go wrong or right when that layer is imprinted. When does that imprinting occur? When we're, when we're infants, first learning language. There's an old saying, ontogeny recapitulates phylogeny. Uh, for one, I love the sound of it, but I finally came to understand what it means. Ontogeny is the process of going from a single cell at the moment of conception to a fully formed being at birth. You can see the organism shifting and changing through this process, becoming more and more complex and refined. Phylogeny is the evolutionary map of an organism from its ancient bacteriological ancestors, single-celled beings, through all the evolutionary changes that led to its current form. So, ontogeny recapitulates phylogeny. The evolutionary tree of the being is visible in a somewhat abstract form in the development of the organism from a single fertilized cell to a fully formed creature. But what's interesting is that for humans, that process doesn't stop at birth it's becoming increasingly clear that the brain of a newborn human is not really developed at all. It's like a big potential waiting to be actualized. Child psychology studies show that the newborn has no sense of separation from his surroundings. The idea that he is not the same as a contiguous part of his mother, his toys, his environment, all foreign and incomprehensible. Consider how a child picks up his first language. Bathed in sensory experiences, sounds, emotions, interpersonal dynamics, met and unmet needs, and in the midst of all that, the spoken language that conveys information. Now, we know that it conveys information, but the newborn, the newborn has to discover it and then become better and better at hearing, resolving, and expressing it. In the beginning, it's just cries and babbles. Then it's grunts of frustration at a specific circumstance, or laughter, or mimicry. And then the deliberate exercise of the instrument. Or, or, and then words. Typically, no, or Imagine baby talk from the perspective of the infant. It's the exploration of a whole new medium of framing and understanding the world. 
it's not just about communicating with us. It's about what spaghetti is. It's about naming the sun. It's about a fight-or-flight response when mommy yells no or daddy yells danger. That's the layer of our linguistic circuitry. It's said that mantras, the Sanskrit prayers, are crafted out of sounds that tap the substrate of this layer, the raw material, directly. Agglomerative languages like Hawaiian have a power born of a poetic linkage, full of imagery and connectedness and relatedness of all the pieces of a word. Syllable by syllable, the linkages form, relating every part of the word to an image that, when taken together, precipitate out a new and more complex, more complete image, which the sequence of sounds conjure in the mind of the speaker and listener. Asian character-based languages have similar characteristics. Indigenous languages, too. One of my favorite books is Secrets of the Talking Jaguar by Martin Prechtel, specifically because he illuminates the poetic majesty of the language of the Zutuchil people of Guatemala. We who speak modern languages have become so accustomed to them as tools of efficiency, really tools applied to exchange practical information, that we have lost the ability to see the deep power and magic that resides in language itself. This power, this power is what is being harnessed in the creation of spells, hexes, curses, blessings, and prayers. This power is what's being harnessed in using language to operate the law of attraction, for example. This power is what holds us in our cultural container, and it is what makes change difficult if we're not aware of it. This power is the power to define and shape the reality we perceive, not just the reality we communicate. I find it worth the effort to imagine myself as a proto-human without language, or as an infant being bathed in sound and experience and discovering language, because it helps me understand just how deep this rabbit hole goes and why I need to respect this fundamental technology. Don Miguel Ruiz says in The Four Agreements that the first agreement, be impeccable with your word, is sufficient to completely change your life. Your thoughts, your very wiring, is shaped by language. And your mind, your mind is designed to be shaped by it. In computer terminology, we might call this an FPGA, a Field Programmable Gate Array. It's raw logic capacity with rules that can be written into it long after its manufacture. For us, our language layer is this FPGA. The rules come from your personal experience, your parental influences, and your culture of birth. These are the influences that program this extraordinarily powerful circuit in your brain. And words are both the code that runs this circuit and the data that feeds it and triggers its behavior. And it all happens by the time you're four years old. Seeing and understanding that depth, we might discover a new respect for the power of words and find healthier, 
more satisfying ways to use them. We'll be right back. Firefly Willows L.I.V.E. is committed to being an alternative voice and passionate about the art of transformative media, the new leading edge of communication in our highly connected media-rich world. That is why we acknowledge the animal and wildlife rescue organizations and volunteers who so generously gift their valuable time and energies to their communities. If you work with such an organization or know of one that you feel provides a service to their community that we can share, contact us at info at fireflywillows.com. As we enter the midpoint of the year, we'd like to again acknowledge the following groups for their work and efforts on behalf of the animals, wildlife, environment, and their communities. The Wildlife Center of Silicon Valley, Hidden Villa of Los Altos Hills, Underdog Railroad Rescue of Portland, Oregon, and Bright Haven Sanctuary of Petaluma. Thank you for all you do. Well, that's our show. I hope you enjoyed it. Consider the power that comes from feeling. Consider the power of words. Think about all the tools that might be at your disposal if you could clear your toxic emotions or your core fractures. If you could rewire yourself. Think about what drives you. Think about what holds you back. Have a great time working with these fundamental technologies that are all part of yourself. We'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for joining us. This program was brought to you by Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. We hope you enjoyed the show. This is Deb Caracella. Please join us next time on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E for A Shamanic Life with John Caracella. Tuesday evening at 8 p.m. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.